It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Hello, this is Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, workplace communication and negotiation coach, as well as industrial organizational psychology consultant. In addition to cboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at termboot.com. Also on the panel today, we have Sarah Smith-Berry of Frigo Consulting. Sarah is a psychometrician, veteran advocate, consultant, and modern stoic. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach, and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Uh, Jeremy, team building. Is it really a poor use of, of valuable time the way we're doing it now? I, I think it is. I think when it's done just for a transaction um, rather than a, a lasting, impactful experience, I think it is a poor use of valuable time. I think a lot of organization, a lot of organizations in regards to others, like their learning and development department, their training and development, their HR, I think they have these um, uh, these team buildings and even with the, the corporate retreats and they focus on getting out and having a good time, which is perfectly fine, but how can we augment and, and make that an actual experience and turn? So have your standard team building events, but it's what you do inside of them. That's important. It's who attends and what's done inside. Think of your, your average, uh, team building event. Um, well, I guess there is no average team building event. So I'll take that back. But how, how many, the, the important things are uh, who's in attendance and what those people in attendance do. Are people making new connections? Are bosses finally sitting down and, and, and talking to maybe that new employee or talking to someone that they haven't spoken to in a while? The, it's important for every person who manages other people, every supervisor, to realize that they are the topic of conversation at the dinner table when their employees go home at night. And... I can't tell you how many people I, I've, I've shared this with. And it's, it's such an aha moment because it's not something we're wrapped up in our own world. And we're, a lot of people are in operations and they're wrapped up in that, but fail to recognize a very important thing that, look, uh, I'm a big part of my employee's life. I have a say. Um, I have the ability uh, to, to direct how they feel, if they feel appreciated or not, if they're complaining and grumbling on the way home if they're excited to come in the work the next day, perhaps one of the best things that can be done with the team building, not as it already is where it's just, Hey, it's a good time. Just like a movie. You go to a movie, you leave. It was a good movie or it was a bad movie, but there's really no lasting impact. You're not thinking about that for the next day. You're not going to bed replaying that movie in your head and seeing how it applies to your life. And you're certainly not three weeks later, even remembering what movie you saw perhaps. But one of the best things that can happen is for somebody who's involved in a team building, so your average employee who's there, to have a conversation they never expected, to talk to another person in the organization that they never expected, 
could it could be the CEO, it could be the CEO, it could be a director in another department. But these are the important things. It's how can you make them, how can you make it so different and so impactful that instead of just a team building, it's actually team valuing and appreciation where people feel a sense of being valued and appreciated and pleasant surprise rather than, hey, here's a team building. We're all getting together to, to let some stress out. Well, and, you know, we, we're, we're looking now at the remote workforce, the hybrid workforce. So quite often, you know, I, I could put together a team. Two people could be in the States. Two could be in India. Another couple in, you know, Japan. So we need to do team building around that. But I think you've, you know, touched on a really important concept of, you know, as we were talking in the other room, bringing that personal self to those conversations as well. Is that right? Yes, that that's that's completely right. And the the unfortunate thing is uh, a lot of a lot of people, a lot, a lot of times managers don't know how to take that managerial, that supervisor relationship. They don't know exactly what to do. And if they have some great ideas, they might not be validated from what they're hearing from from other managers. You know, take, for instance, your new supervisor who used to supervise their who, who used to work in the company and they're friends with their coworkers, but now all of a sudden they got promoted and they're in a supervisor positions. So instead of, you know, how do they manage that relationship? How do they keep from playing favorites? How do they focus on, on more on results, goals, actions, than on the experience of making sure that my employees like me, that kind of thing. And one of the answers to that is instead of, being that person's best friend, you become the best friend to their success. And you make sure that you verbalize that straight out. But in doing so, that's going to help you. It's like these self-check questions that we can ask ourselves every day. Find some good self-check questions in terms of if you're thinking about doing a team building. Is it going to blank? What happens if blank? How will it impact blank? Who will be involved? So there's a lot of different questions because it's important that it's not just a stress reliever, but it's a stress reliever combined with um, a, a lasting, impactful, and purposeful message and feeling that you leave with the employees. Trip, uh, let me go to you next because you talk about the ensemble economy. So what kind of role is, is team building in that? Because it sounds like it's vitally important. Well, it is, but I think the other part of that is, and it comes down to a simple question, are you a builder or a destroyer in your team building, right? What, what does your team building achieve with what you do? So if you're looking at it, you know, I, I, I was thinking of Jeremy when he said, you know, when you go to a movie, you don't even think about it the next day. You go to a really good movie, you're probably immersed in it for a couple of days and sharing it and talking to people about it. I think one of the questions has to be is, what are you building? with your team building, you know, when you do these kinds of exercises. The other thing is I think we, we need to think more instead of thinking linearly, but thinking event-driven, right? So when you think about it, like you talk about a person who's promoted among their peers, that's a predictable transition that's going to happen to 90% of the people who are promoted in management. All of them have probably come from a, a team already in it. So can we, and we develop our training and development activities, can we incorporate some of those critical transitions and discussions into the learning of going through this instead of thinking, okay, we're just doing this, like Jeremy says, to get something, you know, that camaraderie going. But that's important. But it's also important to understand that we're supporting the person that we put in that kind of a role. And we're doing it because we know 
because we are the, you know, in many cases, the experts or, or have been to it ourselves, opportunities that are, are, are situational. The ensemble economy is a, an idea about taking and finding people's strengths in their, what they do and then leveraging them, uh, you know, building on those strengths, not building on weaknesses, but ultimately helping them to better understand how to deploy those issues and those capabilities in what they do. But the other part of that is understanding clearly anybody who's ever been promoted among their peers can tell you what that might be like the first week, yet that's in nobody's management training book about what to expect. It doesn't get discussed when we do team training. It's kind of we expect you to kind of leap through that, 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 that portal and, and get to work. I think we need to start thinking more Instead of thinking as a linear thinker, we have to think of event-driven, and especially as we're all going to be doing a lot more event kinds of work and project-based. We're moving Harvard Business Review had an article this week about the, the idea of having project management capabilities and project managers' thinking processes around a lot of the projects we're on. And, and that's got to be taught, and that's got to be taught in an environment where we don't learn it the hard way. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go over to you. Well, my thought is that really, you know, um, team team building is not, you know, an isolated event you have once a month. To me, good managers team build every day with the way they interact with their team, the way they foster their relationships with the teams. And that needs to be part of the the management training that that people need to have as far as uh, moving into a management management role. I think the events are are good to have because they foster the the relationships and some of the familiarity that that lead to better teamwork, excuse me. <laughs> um, but I think that you know team building is not an isolated event. It has to happen um, and be encouraged on a daily basis. Yeah, I agree with that 100% as well. Uh, Colin, great to see you back on the stage. Do you want to unmute your mic and share your thoughts with us? No, certainly. Um, I think that team building is a should be a slow process. I don't think it should be like a weekly thing in uh, an organization. I, I feel sometimes you can have conflict. Um, I personally have had con conflict with team building before um, about in 2017, you know, I was working as a certified nursing assistant and, you know, we had some sort of meeting and a week later, everything that was taught in the meeting was not even shown to actually be used or, you know, be a, a very strong uh, piece of uh, just, it, it didn't go through. And it was very discouraging to me because you sit there with your coworkers and you want them to take the knowledge that was learned in the team building exercise or a meeting or something, and yet it's not being utilized correctly. And part of the reason I felt that it wasn't utilized correctly, or I feel like it is a poor use of valuable time, is a lot of your coworkers have a lot of stuff on their mind. They have uh, either financial problems, they have um, other discrepancies they don't want to work with certain people in their workplace and in my case it was another cna not wanting to work with another cna because of uh 
you know, uh, biases that they've heard of other coworkers. And sometimes I think it creates a toxic environment and you have to kind of think positively in order to diffuse the situation. And um, I, I guess that's my wording on this. Um, I feel like you should just take it slow and then also implement surveys, you know, maybe a survey saying, hey, we're going to have a team building exercise. What are your thoughts? What kind of questions do you want to ask? So that way you can, you know, can, you can better um, understand your organization or whoever you work with, or maybe invite people that are kind of new to the, you know, maybe invite like a, like a friend or something. So that way they can use this use that to their advantage and say, hey, I can use this in my organization. Um, I need to ask questions. And I think it's about asking your team or who you work with crucial questions that can affect, you know, their personal life or even the workplace life. You know, if your company's not bringing in the amount of money you want it to, what's going on? You know, it's a part of team building is understanding, you know, where you can go from here. You know, I have a motto, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's no way but up from here. You I mean, you have to take a negative situation, for example, and make a positive out of it. Yeah, good points, Colin. Uh, Brittany, great to have you back on the stage. Uh, do you want to share your thoughts with us? I don't have any advice or thoughts, but I, I do have a question. Is it a mistake for us to view team building as getting rid of all of the conflict, working through the hard things as our main goal, not unlike, you know, a family that's going to be together forever and needs to work through the hard things, but instead, especially given how short some of us are in our positions in the corporate world, should we focus on each person bringing their best strengths and skills and contributing to the team and put less emphasis on some of the challenges because maybe we'll be gone in two years anyway and it's okay to kind of live with that challenge if you're at least bringing your best to the team for now great great question um who wants to jump in there jeremy do you want to start us off great yep yep looks like my yeah okay so my mic's on so there's a couple things and that's a that's a really really good question so a couple things in terms of so let's look at at team building versus team management. So typically for the topic of this conversation, and we're going in, in great directions and I, I say we keep on with the directions we're going. So team building is more of a, a static thing. So per our conversation today, a team building is something like, hey, we're gonna have a team building. We're all gonna get together at the go-kart place. We're all gonna do um, a potluck thing and we're gonna play tic-tac-toe. So that's what we're talking about in terms of team building. When we look at team management, that's more of a, um, a, a lifelong process. Kind of like if you look at orientation or onboarding to an organization. Every, every, everyone, uh, every study out there shows that onboarding should be a lifelong process. Yet, when you look at the studies that are available, or I'll say at least available as of 2015 when I was researching it, it didn't go past uh, 12 months. 12 months was the longest study on actual onboarding, which is technically social uh, orientation. So, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, socialization to an organization. So socialization. So that's a lifelong thing, but most studies and most organizations say it's, it's, it's a kind of a one and done. We go through onboarding and then you're done. We go through your onboarding and your orientation and then you're done. Some companies, the better companies will um, 
drag it out farther because they understand it's more of networking. It's not just about here, here's what you need to hit the ground running. With that being said, um, I saw data uh, recently that showed effective teams, so effective managers spend 60% of the time on team management, which is I think what everyone's talking about here, meaning team building, but team management is an ongoing process. And only 40% time um, uh, of that team's time is actually spent on doing projects. So 60% of the time for effective teams, the manager and the teams are working on their relationship together. How do I work best? What are our strengths? Brittany, to answer your question, uh, there are, of course, many, many different perspectives. A way that I might suggest to attend to that first would be to do, to do both in tandem. One is where you have, we, we had our episode a week or two ago on using psychological contracts in the workplace, communication pledges. And I think that effective teams, I think that the very effective teams will all have done one-on-one -on -one with each person, this matrix of each person, have done a 45-minute communication pledge with each other. And that's nothing more than, look, here are the potential uh, awkwardnesses between us. Here's some potential synergies. Here's how I work best. Here's my natural productivity style. Here's my personality. Um, here, are my, here are my habits. Here's what I'm passionate about. And basically, it's a, it's a verbal contract uh, between two people that each person wants the other person to succeed. So I would say do something like a psychological contract. And I have one that I give out if anyone needs one. And that would be that in itself is good team building, team management, because there is more of there's that connection there. And there can be, uh, it opens the opportunity for that appreciation. The next thing I would say, Brittany, would be then, yes, focus on strengths and focus on that route. So make sure that you're taking care of any negative emotions, any slights, and how you would, how, how two people would uh, attend to those or deal with those. And that becomes your basis for a solid foundation through mm -hmm. those, that discussion of a site contract. And then focus on the strengths um, and also how people are working together. Just like any situation when two people spend a lot of time together, there can be people have different ways of doing things, different methods. Um, attending to whether someone's a huge idea person and the person that they work with most of the time is a shoot down ideas person and get into the weeds quick. That can provide contention. So it's about knowing that your strength is the ideas and their strength is to be able is to be able to get into the weeds and to see how that can work with maximum synergy. So that would be my two part response to Brittany's question. Um, and, and yeah, Brittany likes that. I, think, I see. Uh, and I think it's a great response. But, you know, Trip, as Jeremy's talking, I'm wondering you know, with the people that you've talked to, do they see this, the, you know, the team building or the team management, or are, are we living in a, a dysfunctional family right now, especially with the pandemic and the great resignation and the transition that we're all going through? It, it, what's the reality out there right now? We've always lived in dysfunctional families, so this is not new. I mean, part of what I think part of it is we, we, we conditionalize recency factors and decide this is how we see it today. 
and in many cases it's been like this forever and and part of this is because there really may be no natural way of having teams and collaboration without conflict i i think part of it is helping people better understand what the possibilities are but also understanding what it takes to get those possibilities so i think jeremy's idea of saying here's some things we want to work on and develop together and understanding each other but understand that sometimes it, there's going to be conflict. If you have more than two people, one person in a, in, a con- in, in a group or a team, you're going to have inherently some conflict in that. So part of that's understanding that and, and coming up with what I call when I do high performing teams, uh, the idea of strategic conflict. This is something that we're going to have. This is something, we, you know, I have to have a good title for it, by the way. You have to always have that kind of an idea. But part of it's also understanding clearly um, our behaviors and as a society, we are probably not changing all that much. We'd like to believe we are because there's a lot more exposure to these kinds of ideas. But I think if you step back 50 years from in the past, you would see very similar situations, in, in, especially in more dire kinds of economic times or different types of situations. Uh, I think the other might be a different answer that I'd love to hear Jeremy's thoughts on and, and some other people here as well, is the idea of what if we gave you a tool set, a set of tools, Versus, uh, I, I think it's very easy if you're an I.O., for example, think all the tools are an I.O. and that's all we have. And that's, that should be enough. It's not. Uh, we have to say, what are the tools? How do we equip people? How do we empower people with the capabilities and, 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 and help them hone those skills, knowing the first time you correct somebody or you give somebody feedback in a particular way as a manager, you may not do it the right way and you have to get better. But the other part of that is helping people have a set of tools they can use effectively. And if everyone is using similar tools, they give you a lot more leeway. They give you some flexibility. But I, I think to get teams where we want to be, we have to address teams on a systemic level as well as on a tool level. It's not an either-or choice anymore at the speed of change that's going on. We have to have good systems and understand the systems we're operating in. And we have to have good tools tools that will help us through this. And even in the worst situations, we, we know that the person that's trying to use the tool is trying to learn and have that ex- approach of it as, I'm curious why you chose that tool is much better than saying, I can't believe you did that. And that's the difference. The distinction is everybody knows some strategic ground rules are being in place, but we're, it's not enough to have rules, which I'm not a big rule guy. You guys probably didn't gather that. But the other part is, what are the tools I can equip you with that allows for you to function in this this kind of environment better and for you feel better when you do it. And that's all I have to say. Yeah, well, you raised some really good points there. And Jeremy, I want to throw it to you next. But, you know, Tripp, you're absolutely right. When it comes to communication, you know, I've met lots of CEOs who, you know, have studied communication, but where they really lack is actually implementing that tools because they're not great speakers. So I spent a lot of time working with them, you know, improving their actual ability to communicate. Uh, Jeremy, let's throw it over to you now, because I'd, I'd love to get your response on what Tripp was talking about. I, I love what Tripp, Tripp was saying. I think the tools are important, important and he, he used the great word, leeway. and gives people leeway. Because now it's like, look, we're all in the same boat together, and we're using these tools. But guess what? We're, not all, we're, we're, we're experts in certain things, but this is a new tool Give me a little bit of, uh, of, of grace when working with this as we figure it out together. And that can help create a, a problem solving uh, mindset between two or more people as they, you know, as they start to figure it out. Another thing I've noticed just on the pure communication front, being a good communicator, we are social beings, but we're not the greatest 
communicators. And being a good, good communicator, more people think they are great communicators than actually are. Many people think, more people think they're great active listeners than actually are. So it's uncomfortable and we're going to stumble. I'm a big fan just because I've seen people, it's, it's tried and true over and over. You have one uncomfortable conversation and the next one with that particular person, they just get easier and easier because you start, you, you've broken that mold. People, people will often give you that leeway when they know, just like trip, when they know that you're, tr- you're trying, just like trip said, when they know that you're trying, I've coached so many people and they've come back and said, look, I had this conversation with my employee or with my boss or with my colleague. And they said, you know, they said, I've never heard you talk like this or ask these kinds of questions. And they say, you know, I felt like they were kind of on to me. And I said, well, the next time they mention, hey, this isn't your natural style of communication or, hey, you seem different. All you have to do is say, you're right. I've been trying a couple of new things to be more effective um, in, in talking to you so I can be better for you. And then you simply say, uh, is it working? And they'll say, yeah. And then you say, should I keep doing it? Yeah. Because people will appreciate when you're trying to get better for them, especially when it's something in terms of communication that we do day in and day out without even batting an eye, without even thinking about it. But to be an effective communicator takes it, it takes work. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Jeremy. Uh, Brittany, let me bring it back to you now, because, you know, first of all, you asked the question. But I'm wondering if the advice from Tripp and Jeremy has, has changed your thinking of all as it confirmed things or, or what's the next step for you? Per usual on these calls, I've gone from my black and white thinking to seeing not only shades of gray, but how the different shades of gray interact with each other. Yeah, I hadn't realized I was um, uh, confusing team management and team building. So that was interesting for me to digest. And then, yeah, both of their comments, I started to kind of you know imagine how those tactics could take shape and be truly useful. Well, thank you for that. Linda Ann, I see your hand up. Let's go. Well, I and and maybe I misunderstood, but what I was going to ask is um, for Jeremy to clarify really for me, and uh, because I didn't get it through the last interaction, how team management and team building truly integrate, how they're different and how they truly integrate. As far that's great. Uh, as far as how they're different, think of um, um, hmm. It's a good question. So team team building, uh, a, let's, let's put it this way, a team building. That should probably provide the clarification. So a team building versus team management. So let's think of, you know, as a family, you're a family and you are building your, your family together, but you might go camping. So you might, that's your team building would be the camping. So, but you're also, you're a parent and your family structure which is the team management. So it's, 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 it's a, it's a one-term event. It's kind of, it's when a lot of times you have these employee engagement surveys and companies will spend $150,000 for this employee engagement survey. And I've seen companies do absolutely nothing with the data or do something very poor with the data. One of the leading employee engagement um, uh, 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 services out there 
say uh, it, it's it's about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Well, for like let's just say medium, uh, small to medium sized company, and they get all this data. And their response is, "What do you do with this data?" They say, "Well, th this is their action plan." No kidding. Your managers of each department, three times a year at a meeting, should talk about what the data was, and then should talk about three things that that they can do. Three times a year, they're supposed to, in a single one-hour meeting, talk about the engagement survey. They, they, don't, they don't suggest any action. They don't suggest any follow-up. And that's just the nature sometimes of the very, very limited thinking when it comes to what can actually be done. And especially kind of like what we were talking in our, in our last event on the assets, uh, uh, the unused creative assets that, that, that uh, employees bring to an organization. So when you look at actual, when you look at actual team build, team management, it is, it really goes down to that spending 60% uh, or whatever percent makes sense for your team or organization of the time managing that team, going back to that more baseline foundation of, look, our managers are there to manage. They're not to actually do the job. They've been hired into a leadership or supervisory position. So we no longer expect them to be the person that's going to do the best job at a task. We need them to be the best job at building and leading a team, which is plenty of, of work by itself. So Linda, Ann, I want to throw it back to you. What I, I know that there's two things I'm missing, two important points. I just can't pinpoint them. What am I missing with your question that you were looking for insight on? Well, I mean, I understood that, that the team building, you know, is a separate event um, and, you know, that there's, uh, but what I don't understand, so when you do the team building, because you made a clear differentiation there between management and, and the team building, um, and, I, and I don't see it quite so delineated. So, you know, I think that, that part of the management process is fostering those, those things about team building. What do you see in team building that is different that, from management? I think the team building should be since, since I think a team building as an event is opportunity and that opportunity is to change things up and do something different. It's an excuse and it, it's an excuse because everyone's getting together as in a team, as a team in a less formal scenario, whether, you know, some kind of an outing, whatever it may be, it's a less formal scenario. So I, it, it's an opportunity for these managers to speak with, maybe a team member that they don't really speak with because putting out fires operations, it's tough. You're a lot of times managers get stuck into pointing out what's wrong and they, then they get into problem solving mode and tell people how to fix it. it a team building as a, as a, as a separate event is a complete opportunity for everyone to just take a deep breath, let that breath out and really start to get to know the people in a different way and start to focus more on their strengths and start to surprise someone, to, uh, speak with someone about something that's important to them. Maybe even if it's not work-related. If it is work-related, great, even better. But if it's not work-related, I'm a fan of, there's always a way to tie that into work. So I think all in all, it's an opportunity going back to every supervisor and leader should know that when their employees go home, they are the topic of conversation at the dinner table of their employees. 
And I think with that in mind, that is how, um, and, and again, Linda Ann, because you asked such great questions, I'm not talking about perfect world scenarios. I'm talking about like in a perfect world, in a perfect world, you might not even need a team building per se, unless it is just to reduce stress. Quite frankly, in a perfect world, if you have the perfect manager managing and leading the perfect team and there's great cohesion and all they need is, is stress relief, then I would say, yeah, you know, everyone go to the, everyone go to the park, go to the go-karts races and just have a good time. But I, I can't imagine a team that's uh, many teams that are at that point. So I think it's important on how you use a particular event um, as an opportunity. Okay. Yeah. I just, um, um, and I'll be quiet in a minute trip. <laughs> uh, um, I uh, see the way I see those act, those events for me, when I would do those um, it was the opportunity to, to foster the relationships, break down those walls, create approachability between people who don't communicate those kinds of things. And I see team building is more, and, and, and it opened the door for the team building opportunity where you can say, you know, go work with so-and-so and ask them this question and it feels approachable for them. So I just, I wanted to clarify that, that we're using the same language and the, and getting on the same page with our perceptions. So thank you. And I love that Linda and approachability, such an important word. Thank you. All right, Trip. let's go to you. Yeah. I want to throw a, a wrench in the system a little bit if I could. Uh, one of my thoughts is maybe the other way of looking at this is thinking about team teams is more about cooking than it is about business. So if you cook, if anybody in the room cooks, you realize cooking is a science and an art, right? So I think part of what I'd say to people is if you can wrap a different wrapper around some of this, think about it when you're cooking together and you're working on something together like that, that may provide you enough flexibility in, in your mental mindset, in your mindset to, to really produce some rather interesting results. But the other part is cooking. Sometimes cooking comes out good. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I, I think we need to have, and maybe part of our jobs are to help people put it in a different context. You know, I, I just thinking and struck by a, a story I heard Warren Buffett once say about a friend of his who was looking for the perfect woman. And he looked and looked and looked and looked and finally found her. And what the problem was when he found the perfect woman, he found out she was looking for the perfect man. And he wasn't that. And I, and I think it's the same way with teams. I think we spend an awful lot of time looking for the perfect situation and scenario. And like cooking, you can cook a meal and have an excellent meal a hundred different ways. You're much more flexible in what you do when you look at the ingredients and how you put them in and how you master them and how different cultures put those things together. So I think that's the other thing is maybe part of what we have to think to ourselves is get stop thinking rigidly about what a team is and what it isn't and try to think about it and put it into a context where people who are involved in the, this conversation feel flexible and creative. Uh, you know, it, it's as much about science as art when it comes to putting together a good meal. I think when putting together a good team, it's about the same way. But that would be something when you start looking at the moving parts moving around and, and, and you're the manager, consider that there's no right and wrong ingredients, uh, but it's how you're going to choose to put them together in that moment that's going to make the magic or it doesn't. You know, with that in mind, trip, you know, I, I recently saw a documentary on on Warren Buffett, and I know that you know you know Charlie Munger, and you know Berkshire Hathaway has this once a year event where it's like everybody, every company, every employee, it seems, gets together in one place, 
and I was I was a little bit shocked to see how you know all those multiple organizations you know they just fly under the the Berkshire Hathaway banner, but it was such a team event, and there was such a feeling of of we are one, although it's it's many. Have you ever been to that event, or you know I'm sure you know about it. How effective is that in bringing all those people together? Go ahead. Well, two things, but we've got to remember two things about Berkshire. One of the things is I've been to six of those events. Um, So part of it is understanding how those events are set up. And they're all individual companies and they all come at to those events with different kinds of thoughts and processes. And the people, what they call his managers, which are his CEOs, all come with their own stories. One of the things that makes them a unique opportunity for, and why I'm still with them after since 1986, is because they, they I'm always learning new things from Charlie and, and Warren, uh, and, and and part of that is that that interaction of how he managed. Think about it this way, and I, I'll tell you a, a, a personal story I can't tell because the person who's involved has passed away now. He went from being a person who was running a Fortune 500 company to being worth billions of dollars over the course of his lifetime, one of my clients, actually one of my mentors. And how do you motivate a person who's worth a billion dollars? <laughs> so, so you have to think about it. All these different companies working under the title of Berkshire Hathaway, but all being run autonomously. And once a year, they get together for an annual meeting in Omaha with 40,000 of their closest friends who are their investors and talk about what's going on in the company and get to share that case and what they're doing, and they even sell their wares at the event. It's unheard of. But it means to me that they don't have a limiting view of what their team looks like. And I, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, I, I'm all about the ensemble economy, and one element in that is this, this whole idea of agile talent, uh, which is this idea that we can go find whatever we need when we need, and we can add that ingredient in and out whenever we need it. It's all about flexible mindsets and finding a different way. For example, when I work with women, I don't talk about sports because <laughs> I have a couple of, of, of nursing firms I work with that are large nursing associate groups within uh, a major hospital system. And my natural tendency would be going and talking about sports analogies. Uh, I swear my wife spends a couple of weeks with me before I do those presentations to talk about things that women are actually interested in and understand <laughs> And it's context, and I think so many people fail to do that because it's a lot of it's a lot, it seems like a lot of work at the time, but it's magical when it works. And so I've started incorporating some of my conversations, in particular with women founders and entrepreneurs, the analogy of a cook. And I I can't believe how different they respond to me than they did when I used to talk about being a quarterback, Tom Brady, whatever I'm talking about. I talk about uh, you know. Some of the great cooks that are out there, and, and that's what you are as an entrepreneur and a CEO, is you're the cook. You're the master cook and bottle washer. You have to do both. And when I talk to women about that, they get it right. <laughs> they get it right away. And but what 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 did I do differently? Not much difference, except I put it in a context they were comfortable with. And that's what we have to think about when we're looking at teams. And you know, I also wanted to ask you about you know, as I'm watching that documentary. You know, they talked about the the office staff or the people that, you know, have, have worked at Berkshire for, you know, 20 years. But they show photos over those 20 years, and it's the same group of people. It's like, well, people don't leave. So h- how are they creating this team that is, you know, consistent over all those years? Well, that's the secret sauce that if I could, t- I, I can tell you what I think it is. 
uh, and it's kind of interesting. It, and, and I think it's it's one of one thing is it's 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 the it's the mentality uh, of, of and the cordiality uh, how collegial the people are. It's an up and out environment. So if they are still there, that means they're producing. Uh, the second piece of that puzzle, though, is many times is the compensation programs. The secret sauce for Berkshire and, and many successful companies I've worked with, like Microsoft, IBM, a lot of the big companies you all know about, is looking at the compensation from all the way from when you start your job in that company and start working in those organizations to the day you retire and how they manage. And, 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 and there's a, a science and an art to building strong compensation programs. And I think that's the other part of it is and, and, and compensation. And I'm, you're probably thinking, oh, yeah, it's easy for a guy with, you know, $80 billion to make a good compensation program for somebody. I would suggest to you that the, the compensation that keeps the people around at Berkshire and at IBM and at Microsoft and at Apple is more about the soft intangibles of the compensation program. It's how they feel and what they feel about, you know, they run around in their Apple shirts and they, 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 they're Apple employees and you can tell who they are because they're always the ones that are running around and, and doing fun things together. And I, and I think that's the other part of this is that's, part of the intangible if you want to talk about how do you build better teams tie their compensation into their team performance versus individual performance and you'll see amazing things happen when you have to count on your friend to make your compensation for the year and your bonuses for the year so there's a you know a shortcut to the answer is find out what motivates and motivates people and uh mr buffett is a master motivator mr gates was a uh, was not a master motivator but he understood how to compensate people so they would take a lot of things from them uh, him when he was in his stage before he became bill gates philanthropist uh, you know philanthropy person uh, he was hated at some points in in the history of microsoft i think you have to know what you have and you have to really understand what your people are motivated by and and you have to think about it not only today they come to work for you but every year we look at compens. I, sp I spend one month a year and a couple of clients building comp programs for them. And I build them in a way that allows for them to incentivize the behavior we want. And in this case right now, it's much about hybrid work. And, and how do you compensate people that are remotely not getting the same intangibles they used to get when they were working in the facility together? So that's my, you know, very long answer. But it's an insightful answer because so many people go in and say it's all about this. And I, I typically say you're missing something. You're, you're telling me it's all about science or an observable, observable data, for example. And I'll tell you that's only half the equation. <laughs> but you have to figure out the other half, and that's the hard part. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for leaving us there, Tripp. Uh, Linda Ann, over to you. I just wanted to, uh, to add on to what Tripp said, I think, that having the right compensation package and motivating people is, is really important. I think one of the motivating factors for a lot of people now, and they're very clear about that is, you know, uh, and it's, it's the connection to purpose. And when you say that people at Apple are, are running around in their Apple shirts or whatever, they feel connected to something greater than themselves. And that's what I think a lot of companies really, really need to pay attention to. And people will stay at a company for that, over getting large raises, Jeremy, I want I want to turn to you next because all of this fits right into the line of the research we've been doing on the hybrid or remote workforce and the notion of how important, especially now, you know, after after that discussion with Robert about how we're transitioning from, you know, it's not about the factories and machine; it's about the people. So, 
how do we get people to, you know, become part of the community, especially when working in teams and, and have that, you know, I don't want to let the team down. And that model itself has really become um, productive. So how do we, you know, how, how do we move companies to that understanding? You mean to the understanding of not let, not wanting to let other people down? Well, the, you know, what we're seeing in companies a lot of times is, you know, even though it might be about, you know, the people now, not the machinery, you know, why should a manager or CEO treat a person any differently than a machine? So how are we bridging that, you know, when we, once again, if I bring it back to, to Berkshire, those people are, you know, it's almost like a cult. They're so committed. So how do we move our employees in that direction? Um, well, I can't speak to the, uh, the Berkshire thing. I think Trip has provided a, a tremendous insight into, into how they do that. Um, you know, there's a couple factors, a couple elements. And one, of course, is reciprocity. Uh, it doesn't take, it doesn't take oh, you know, feeling like um, you are obligated or making someone feel obligated. There's a lot of different ways to, to engage people in reciprocity. And, and one is simply um, giving in terms of giving someone there your extended time. Um, people have different, you know, we've all heard of the five love languages. Um, there's also the, uh, the four languages of appreciation of the workforce. So one way to do is, you know, it, again, it all comes down to knowing your team. Um, do, each member of your team, are they are they motivated by you jumping in and helping them? Are they motivated more by the uh, you know, like a tangible gift? Are they more motivated more by words of appreciation? So there's different ways, uh, to, but but it all comes down to to knowing their team, to knowing your team, and then you have this rest this um this this feeling of reciprocity. But even more so than the recipro reciprocity is an emotional attachment. And by that, I mean a positive workplace emotional attachment to both the organization and, uh, and, and to management. So it really comes back to not only creating great teams, but making sure that you manage them effectively. Yeah, and that's interesting because you make that, um, you know, that difference between creating and, and managing. And that makes me think back to what Trip was saying in our last, um, our, our previous event earlier today of, you know, do you create an audience or do you find your audience? So, you know, part of that goes back to your team selection too and working, uh, you know, understanding that it's not just your, you know, just like in organizations, you have your local versus your your global uh, accounting assets. You look at that in terms of more global and less siloed. So you've got to incorporate, when you're looking at team building, team management, or uh, I should say, we're talking about team building. When you're looking at building a team and putting a team together, there's also some importances there in working with your recruiters to make sure that you're um, having them ask the, the right questions initially in the screening and making sure that you're asking as a hiring manager the right questions because team dynamics are important. And there's, um, there's different, you know, how many assessments are there out there and how many different scales are out there. But all in all, uh, just to give you an, an example, you know, certain teams, um, certain people gain their influence by, by doing and, and by showing and other people in organizations gain their influence and influence others because of um, the social aspects, because of who they know. So instead of, Hey, let's, let's, you know, one person might say, let's try it. I got this person on board and this person on board and this person's all for it. Another person might say, Hey, let's try this idea. It's worked in the past. 
here's the probability of it working here and here's how, how we can make it work. So there's two different ways of influence. And what you don't want, uh, um, you don't want it to be over influenced on one way. You want somewhat of an of an of a balance in a particular team, just like idea gener. You know, so that's just one example. But then you have idea generation. Um, then you have ability to uh, create a plan and and stick with it through the whole way. But then you have agile enough. So now we're getting into, and I won't open this can of worms. But now we're getting into a lot of different um, personality characteristics and a lot of different analysis with psychometric testing. But all in all, uh, Tom, you sparked a thought when you said creating uh, a team because there is, it, it is important. You can't, you can't just get any team and, and just throw it together. Sometimes you've got you've to find and you've got to pick the right team. So it is important to understand how those dynamics are going to interact. And then once you've created your team, uh, of note is that sometimes you have to identify a toxic person in your team and get them the heck out of the team. So that's just a side note, but lots, wow. Uh, lots of conversation here. Lots of good, uh, insights that you provoke with your questions, Tom. Thank you. Uh, well, you're very welcome. I also want to ask you, Jeremy, about, you know, building teams, especially now when we're looking at the remote or hybrid workforce, but I think also for those who are working, you know, in the office still, is the technology that we that we now have available to us to aid with communication. So, can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on how communication and, and some of the technology, the platforms, will evolve team building and maybe even the team management aspect? I think there's two main things with that. One, I know I notice every day more and more that kind of like Tom, just because you, me and, and Trip are in the the tech space and we use these different forms of technology and we can zip and zoom, zoom in and out of meetings on multiple platforms with no problem at all. I'm realizing more and more that it's because of the world that we live in. It's kind of because we're in our own silo, um, whereas I'm still um, starting a meeting with people and they're having trouble getting their zoom to work. They're having trouble getting their camera to work. So combine that with the so many options out there of how to use and, and how to manage a team. You've got, you know, you've got your slacks, you've got your base camps, you have your Microsoft teams, you've got your zooms, you've got your blue jeans, you've got, there are so many different options just for project management, right? You've got your Monday, com you've got your ClickUp, you've got your asana you've got your trello there's just so many options and it's it's like why are most people why are people afraid of snakes and spiders because they don't understand them you know, how do they move that way what do they do they're they're afraid they're unfamiliar there's uncertainty when being around them so i think a part of it is if you're in an organization and you're going to introduce a new technology first you better know it yourself you better have run a pilot program you better have tested it out because you, the last thing you want to do is get everyone involved with some kind of team communication and then switch it up at, because it's not working for some for certain people. So it, you have to understand and meet your employees where they are in terms of technical expertise and be willing to do some handholding, be willing to spend that time to, you know, baby steps, dip your big toe in the water and try this technology out. And more importantly, see, you take an one, you know, each employee's, it takes time, but it's time up front that ends up saving time in the end. See what your employee's employee concerns are. 
because it might be this particular aspect of communication and you can say, Hey, I've heard you, we've heard you, this might help with that particular aspect of communication. Plus it has other benefits and really get, get each person to have some kind of, you know, give each person a little piece of a pom-pom to cheer on that particular technology moving forward to, to make sure that it works. But the key is reduce the uncertainty and make things less scary. And there is some upfront work, but the, but uh, on, on the back end, it can save a tremendous amount of time, tremendous amount of mistakes and uh, work wonders for accountability. And thanks for that, Jeremy. But, you know, Trip, as, as one of the top tech influencers in the world, I'd love to hear your view on this. Well, I, I, let me answer it in a different kind of way. Why I'm one of the top tech influencers in the world is because I understand how not to use technology, right? I mean, you've talked to me, Jeremy's talked to me. Uh, what makes me different is that I, I think I look at this from the point of view of tech is an enabler and empower, but it's not the bottom line. And I think there's a lot of times where I find a lot of even my technical clients uh, that are very uh, tech, techie heavy. Uh, they, they, they rely on technology when they should be relying on picking up the phone and talking to someone or walking down the hall. So I think that the answer is that you have to have both. I think we're moving in. It's not only a hybrid workplace. It's a hybrid of, of form of leadership, which means you have to know what people respond to. You have to know what you're comfortable with. And, you know, you can. I remember when Tim took over from Apple at Apple from Steve Jobs, having known Steve all the way back from the 80s all the way to today, uh, it's a fascinating story, but I think part of what you have to think about with all of these stories I tell is what's the implication to you? To me, the biggest implication of having lots of technology available to us is knowing when to use them and when not to, and couple it with understanding the kind of people that tend to be attracted to technologies and overly dependent on them and making sure they don't become overly dependent on it. I can think of a manager I've worked with for many years who would rather send a text than ever pick up a phone and call somebody. Someone's relative dies, he doesn't. He, he sends a text, I'm sorry about the loss of your loved one. <laughs> I had to say to him, you can't keep doing that as a senior executive, that's unacceptable behavior. Do not use that media to you know, respond to people when they pass away. Um, that's the trick. The trick is understanding inherently when to use technology and, when not to be, and how not to be overly dependent on what you do and the same thing for your own capabilities. Don't The biggest thing about Gallup, and I've been with Gallup almost 22 years now, using their technologies as they've evolved and grown, is don't become overly dependent. Don't overuse your strengths. They become a weakness when you fall on. Every time you have to do something, you do it in a particular way, and you become overly dependent, and it becomes a weakness. So that's the other part of that. With anything you have, anything overused is abuse. Great point, Trip. Uh, Brittany, I'd love to come back to you now and ask how, you know, technology has influenced the work that you're doing. Uh, can you ask uh, sure, like, question? You know, are are when you're working, especially with teams, or if you're building teams, are they just simply using, you know, email? Are they having conversations, or are you know, are you seeing the implement implementation of things like, you know, audio platforms for? For messaging or for quick conversations, are you seeing the influence of the Zoom meeting? You know, it, which all of its positive and negatives. How has it actually affected you know sort of the front line where you're working? Okay, yeah. So I would say my clients have been more reticent than not to pick up new technologies. Um, I did have one client that you know had an intranet and. Um, 
LMS all internal and they ended up using Zoom during the pandemic. And I don't think they ever would have moved to that type of technology if they hadn't um, needed to. Otherwise, it is really mainly phone calls and emails, I would say, here in my little corner of the Midwest. And you think even in your little corner of the Midwest that that's going to change? Uh, or, or or is this a company which has found the sweet spot and, and this is the way they do it now? I, I think it will change. I, I think it has to. With Gen Z coming in, moving into leadership roles, it will naturally change. Maybe it'll be tumultuous for some orgs. And, and Jeremy, what are your thoughts on this change? You know, is is it... Is it adaptation or perish? Or, uh, you know, if, if I run a company and I just want to use emails, is, is that going to be effective? Or am I going to be, you know, gone in a few years? Uh, it depends on if it's, if, uh, you know, are you focusing inward or are you focusing outward? I think the question is going to be different whether you're talking about your, you know, your, your, your clients, customers, and guests versus your internal workforce. For some internal workforces, uh, you, you might very well just get away with your, with your emails and your phone calls. It depends on the kind of business. You know, if you're a small company and you, and you make flags, we have a, a small flag company in, in my town here um, by small, a couple hundred employees, but they don't, they're, they're not going to need any, any of these huge tech um, uh, solutions except for their, their, their sales team. And they get away with having, um, you know, they all have a certain cell phone company phone, but they have a certain software downloaded on that. But that's, you know, that's been around for, for how long now? So I, I, I don't think it's, I, uh, I don't, ooh, I gotta be careful with what I say. I don't think it's adapt or perish in this particular um, scenario. I think more is better adapt to your own organization's needs and what your client's needs are or perish. Because again, it's it, kind of like what trips that don't use, don't, don't get, don't use technology just for the sake of, of having technology. You know, it all comes down to, um, you know, thriving and looking at your own needs internally and externally and really focusing on that and not getting caught up in the shiny new object syndrome, which is so easy to do because for some of us tech is very fun. Uh, but it's, it's about careful analysis. It's about thinking time and it's about getting the smartest people that you work with. I uh, should everyone that that in an organization is smart. I, I get everyone in your organization, so you get plenty of perspectives, and figure out what's needed, what's not, and and what would be beneficial to everyone to 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 try out. And with that, I see our time is up. So, Jeremy, let me throw it right back to you to wrap this up. Yes, thanks everyone for being here for the first time, for the very first time since we started our IO Psych rooms, uh, industrial organizational psychology rooms, and our employee communication and negotiation rooms. Our topics for the following week are to be determined. So we will have surprise topics for next week. So again, 12 o'clock Eastern Standard Time and 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Um, the Trip Braden, Tom Bradshaw, we have Linda Ann, Colin, Brittany. We also have Ryan and Kelly and Christina in the room. And uh, I am, of course, in Jeremy Lookaball. Feel free to chat with us on LinkedIn. Follow who you like. And we will close the room and see everyone. Thank you for tremendous, tremendous, tremendous contributions. Five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. 
Don't forget to sign up at sebocom Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? 